Hey there film fans and welcome to another episode of The Real Take. This week we are taking a closer look at the movies of one Morris Micklewhite Jr. or as he's more commonly known, Michael Caine. This icon of cinema has starred in a whopping 150 movies throughout his career but according to recent reports he has said he is done with movies. I think at the age of 88 with a knighthood and several Oscars on the mantle he has earned the right to bow out of the industry. But it has given us a perfect excuse to delve into his work and for Niall to show off his Michael Caine impression throughout the episode. So <laughs> let's roll titles. No, no, Sinead. Let's roll titles. Yeah, Sinead, let's roll <laughs> titles. <laughs> Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and Niall have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun. Talking movies. Talking movies. Yes, it is the real take the podcast by film fans for film fans. Please do like and subscribe to the real take wherever you get your podcasts and never miss another bloody episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It was pitiful. Yes. Yeah, I Canadian hope listeners. I hope the eighty eight year old Michael Gain is not listening to this because he will not. unsubscribe. He will unsubscribe. Maybe you could, we could just edit in all of your uh, impressions of him instead. Well, let's just say, Michael, if you do listen, you're going to hear some very complimentary things, mostly. Yes. In the podcast today. <laughs> dodgy, dodgy impressions aside. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. But look, the reason we kind of decided to kind of delve into this was recent reports of him kind of saying, look, I'm done. I'm 88. I think it's time that I bow out now and kind of I, I've done all I can in the in the movie business. But I don't know. I think are we sceptical? Is like, you know, is he just going to not do any more? Is he going to maybe pop up as cameos or little small parts here and there? Yeah, I mean, I it's I remember like he, he has said this kind of in the publicity junket for his new film, which is called uh, Bestseller, I think, in which he plays a, a famous author who goes on a publicity junket with a young publisher played by Aubrey Plaza, who people would know from Parks and Rec. Um, obviously people are kind of asking him kind of about his career and stuff. And he's kind of said, I, I kind of like just being in my house now I don't really and at 88 who can blame him but I don't think he's definitively I think that's been interpreted as I am I'm out Mm. but I'm not sure I don't believe it I think we will see him again Mm. yeah I know Sinead you're a big fan of raising the pension age until people kind of pass away um, (laughs) even if they don't want to work um, which is commendable, so fair play for that attitude. Yeah, uh, and I, Michael Caine probably is a big fan of that as yeah. well. He would say, yeah. "Work until you drop." Yeah, yeah, but it could be a case of like when Aerosmith were doing their final, their final tour, and then they did their final tour part two. It could be a case of that where, you know, it, it, you know, you keep trying to leave, and they keep dragging you back in, dragging yeah, you back yeah. in with the promise I mean, of money. Well, this is <laughs> well I don't think he well, needs money now at this stage. No. Oh, you can never have enough," says Scrooge McDuck. Um. <laughs> Like I, I, we've all seen tennis, have we? At this stage, oh and yeah, there was yeah. a very real sense of his cameo because he's like the latter part of his career has had a huge resurgence with working with um, uh, Christopher Nolan, and that scene that he had in Tenant. When I saw that, I was like, "Oh, this this is kind of his swung song. Mm. He's, he's, this is going to be the last that we see him because the character is given." reverence that really is due to the actor as opposed to the character look no offense 
But in this world where someone is claiming to be a billionaire, Brooks Brothers won't cut it. I'm assuming I'm on a budget. Save the world, then we'll balance the books. Can I recommend a tailor? I'll manage. You British don't have a monopoly on snobbery, you know. Well, not a monopoly. More of a controlling interest. Could you box that up for me? Certainly not. Goodbye, Sir Michael. Um, but having well, said that, you know... It would he, be a shame up. if his swan song... No offence, I know you guys liked it, but oh, no. I think it'd be a shame for a career like that to end on... Did you not like the tennis? That was... If you, oh, if you understood tennis, you would know that actually his career started <laughs> with tennis. And that was the first role that he yes. played. And then everything went backwards. Okay, I, yeah, look, do you know what? I, I feel like we're gonna, we could quite easily quite... get caught in a spiralling rabbit hole yes. if we go into tennis. But we will park that for another episode. Ross Lee, you're not getting off that lightly. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with you like in the sense that, yeah, it was very much... Christopher Nolan kind of paying, you know, homage, like, let's put him in here. Like, obviously the scene was, you know, I'm not saying it was a vital scene, like, you know, but it was a, a nice scene. It wasn't mm. unnecessary of a scene or whatever. Um, plus, I was kind of like, I really want that steak. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about waste, an absolute waste of a steak. Um but uh, yeah, I do think that uh, we will see him popping up in supporting roles or smaller parts in movies down the line, particularly if it's something that, you know, will entice him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Back out into into the field of acting. But let's go into his, his life a little bit because um, he <laughs> had a very hard knock life, let's say, growing up. He was born Morris Micklewhite Jr. in London, England. He came from very, very humble beginnings. His dad worked as a porter in the fish market and his mother was a cook and a cleaner. And he lived with his parents and younger brother in London. Um, and uh, yeah, he just like they were close, um, but, you know, they lived in very kind of cramped old buildings like this is real working class stuff you know uh you're talking 1930s no indoor plumbing you know this is pre-war britain opportunities for you know getting on in life were not good you know uh, and it's very much like 1980s ireland yeah uh, and early in in his life you know the, the discomforts of poverty were joined by the, the terrors of war because his um he was only six years old when britain entered uh world war Two, and of course his dad was immediately called up for for military service and he wouldn't see his dad again for six years so Look at this is, you know, for families at this time, you know, with mothers at home on their own, particularly working class families like they were forced really to kind of grow up too quickly, you know, shoulder the responsibility of, of being sort of um, the men of the house. I mean, like even so young, you know what I mean? Uh, and of course, then with everything happening in London, you know, nightly bombings um Morris was actually sent to live with another family away from the city and the countryside and um, basically he himself and um, I think it was his brother was sent but they were so grossly neglected by the host family they would like just leave for days at a time locking them up in a cupboard until they returned um and then when his mother discovered kind of the condition he was being kept in obviously she 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 got him out of there but apparently this 
uh, situation left him profoundly claustrophobic throughout his his later life. Um, their old home then was severely damaged in the bombing, so they moved slightly up in the world uh, to a neighbourhood known as Elephant and Castle that was in uh, South London. And it was kind of, you know, a move up in the world for them, but still very sort of substandard. They did have indoor plumbing and a small garden. Um, you know, they tried to kind of create as, as stable a life as they as they could outside. Uh, but he uh, really kind of, I suppose, gained solace in the in the neighborhood youth club. And he had originally signed up to play basketball, but was soon drawn to the club's drama classes. Why? Because there was girls there, of course. <laughs> uh, but once inside, he did actually fall in love with acting and theatre. And um, he started out performing in, you know, plays in the youth club. And then this, you know, idea of acting and could this, you know, be something that he would pursue as a career was, was this was the seeds of it, let's say. And, you know, the, the old greats like Cary Grant and, and Humphrey Bogart, uh, further stimulated his imagination and after leaving grammar school at 16 he went off to work as a file clerk and messenger for film companies around London so you know this was kind of his gateway into the world and even though he was you know from a working class family and you know could only ever dream of being like Cary Grant you know this was his way in and I love stories like this because you know, like Michael Caine is arguably, you know, the the Cary Grant now. Like, do you know what I mean? That we and and generations to come will 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 look at it and and admire his career. Um, but of course, real life intervened violently. He was called up for national service at age nineteen, sent to Korea, where the UK had joined the the US, and uh, really like you know, like anyone sent off to war, you know, certain death kind of was imminent kind of thing. But he did um, really, uh, after that and surviving everything there, he, did, he resolved to make the most of his life in the years ahead and to really, you know, once he returned to England, head off and, and get into the theatre and, you know, really try and make a name for himself. But, you know, that unmistakable Cockney accent... <laughs> You know, uh, he had a lot of obstacles in his way, but um, he decided to, to, to really make a go of it. Uh, answered an ad for an assistant stage manager at the Westminster Repertory Company in Sussex and was soon kind of starring in small walk on roles. And that's kind of the the start, I suppose, of, of Michael Caine's career. So like any great actor starting off in the theatre, you know, working his way up uh, to eventually becoming uh, the, the star we know today. But I think, Niall, you have kind of where he kind of started off in terms of his film uh, career, don't you? Yeah, and just maybe, <clears throat> sorry, a little bit more about kind of, I suppose, him as an actor. I think there's a couple of very interesting things there hearing you talk about his his upbringing and uh, the, the comparison to Cary Grant, actually, which didn't, has never occurred to me before it's very interesting because of course Cary Grant started off as life mm -hmm. in the east end of London as Archie Leach yes. and completely transformed himself which 
I don't think Michael Caine ever did. Michael Caine always mm. carried. Cary Grant went to America and became the epitome of suavity and urbane upper class, whereas Michael Caine always carried his his roots with him, I think, in all of the parts, even when he did play kind of higher status or upper class characters. Yeah. You know? um, and that's very interesting. And just the idea then as well, you've got all of these actors kind of coming up at the same time. Like you've got... Um, Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole and my, um, you know, um, Richard Burton and and people like that who all went to like Rada, went to yeah. drama school, got places in there, you know. So, in a way, although none of those are, the, I, they all came from humble beginnings, but that's the posh way into acting. If yeah. you like, you go to drama school, whatever. Michael Caine, very different, uh, joins a repertory company, which for people who don't know. These were companies that just traveled around England and would do like five different plays in a in a week in in a small town. And, you know, in one play, you'd be the porter in Macbeth and in the next play, you'd be Henry V or something like that. So it, mm. it was a real, if you like, a practical apprenticeship on yeah. what it was like in the theater as opposed to the more academic. I suppose if you go to Rada, you're, you're teaching, you're, you're learning the craft in a different way. Um. But we alluded to it at the start, I think, uh, that everybody can do an impression of Michael Caine. Or, well, <laughs> some some people can. <laughs> I but definitely can I, I think undoubtedly the person who does the best Michael Caine impression is Michael Caine himself. It's it's wonderful, actually, sitting here and listening to your talk, because, it, I mean, yours is, is the most impersonated voice in, in the business, isn't it? Oh, yeah, everyone everybody does. Does. I, I can do it. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, finished yet. I'm not finished yet. Not many people know that. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like this bloody moron. And it, it, the reason I think that it, he does it so well is that it's very easy to forget how good an actor he is when you're watching him do a Michael Caine impression. Because, <laughs> like, like an actor that we talked about in a. a a previous episode that we featured and put a spotlight on and an actor that um, came up at the same time as Michael Caine through the 60s and an actor that came up in slightly the same way he didn't go to drama school practically just kind of got cast and and went straight into films and an actor that became a great friend of Michael Caine and also I think an actor that uh, although I really admire their work I maybe don't want to get talking to him in a pub is the late Sean Connery and also like Michael I don't know if I got talking to him in a pub if we get on I don't think he'd like me very much <laughs> but <laughs> um, they, there is, they are very different actors I think I think we all enjoyed Sean Connery the episode that we saw in the movies that we saw but I think we would all agree that um, Sean Connery's range is very different than Michael Caine. I think Michael Caine has a much wider range, and this is the, this is sometimes the the what blurs the lines between movie stars and actors. And you could look at Michael Caine and say his his range is not very, it's not very wide because you know he doesn't really, he's not a chameleon. You don't go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize. But if you look at some of the parts that he's played in a career that spans more than 120 films he's he has played a hugely diverse set of characters more certainly than you could say for Sean Connery um and he he has also like i say brought that upbringing with him so although he's kind of best known for playing this stereotype of a tough cockney he's not 
ever been afraid, I don't think, in any of the roles he's played, to be vulnerable on camera and stretch himself and change how people perceive him, if you like. So would would you like a masterclass in the best way to maybe, you know, approach an impression? Because I think we all think we have it in us, but there are certain there's a few tips I can give you. Okay. If, if right. you'd like. So first of all, we're going to do uh young Michael Caine, right? Yes. So for young Michael Caine, it's very important. Uh are you are you right handed, both yeah. of you? Okay. Yeah. So you take your Lamar. left hand. Okay. Oh it does, okay. yeah. Very important. You take whatever is your less dominant hand, right? Yes. Mm. And you point your finger mm. and you speak <laughs> very slowly like this and you emphasize every word. So can I see that? And the pointing is very important. <laughs> Actually, it does help you get in the frame of mind. I'm not sure if it'll that, help with the yeah. accent, but I no, certainly let's, let's feel hear. more caney. Sinead, you can go first. No, no, you go. You go. The floor is yours. <laughs> Uh, what do I? I don't want to say the thing about blowing the doors off. I don't. Say I something. want to say something different. Okay. Well, what should I say? Li- there's literally oh. anything you can say. <laughs> well, I actually know because Peter Sellers okay. has does an impression of Michael Caine because apparently Michael Caine has this real, uh, real uh, fondness of quoting obscure facts. And oh, yes. um, Peter Sellers has this thing where he says he d- makes a, does a Michael Caine impression where he n- names a fact and goes, "Not a lot of people know that." So I'm going to try yeah. to what, do that. What I'm hearing is a lot of a lot of talking and okay. a, lot, a lot of practical <laughs> Michael Caining. So in honor of the great man who didn't go to drama school and there wasn't a lot of talking, it was just do it. Let just do it, Ross. Did you know that it takes a man in a tweed suit? Five and a half seconds to fall from the top of Big Ben to the ground. Now, there's not many people know that. That's good. It's not bad. He got a little rural England there at the end. Not a lot yeah. of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, Ross. Uh, Ross very good. The, 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 the simpler you can keep it, the better. What you've done there is you tried to do a Peter Sellers. But what I wanted you to do was do a Michael Caine. So for me, it's a no. (laughs) It's a no. Are you in the X Factor? Is this like the... (laughs) This is Michael Caine X Factor. (laughs) This is Michael Caine the X Factor. Okay. So come on now, Sinead, and tell us about your sick sick dog at home. My sick dog. (laughs) And and that's why we all... Okay, you have to go. Tell us us a random fact. A random bit of trivia. I really hope that my journey doesn't end here Hang because on, of my if, sick dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you mean a random fact about Michael Caine? No, a random fact, because apparently he has this great love of I don't, reciting see, now I'm, bits now of Now I'm on the spot trying to think of a fact. Yeah, see, now you're, you're overcomplicating things. Just yeah, tell, yeah. tell us what you had for your tea. That's all oh. you need to go. Today, Niall, for my tea, I had lamb. <laughs> You had a nice bit of lamb. I had a nice bit of lamb. I don't know Did you have any it. have any mint sauce? No mint sauce, but <laughs> I did bloody lick the plate. <laughs> you went you went Australian at the end. I know, I keep, I keep going Australian. I can't do it. Okay. It's too hard okay. to do. Yeah. Okay, well mm. you might have an easier time with later Michael Caine okay we've had younger okay. Michael Caine okay. this is later Michael Caine this is kind of Christopher Nolan Batman era you yeah. know and this is this is oh, when he so gets he gets of... oh look you're already into it okay. he, he gets very emotional but the emotions have to 
keep that. I, I, I won't bury another Wayne, Master Wayne. I won't do it. I, I buried your parents. I won't bury you. <laughs> so, uh, Sinead, I think you, you can go first since you still okay. have a, a handle on it there. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> I won't bury another Wayne, Bruce. Master keep, Wayne. Push them down. Push the emotions down. I just... I can't, can't do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, Ross, it, it's really yours now to win because I have to be honest, that was terrible. It was awful. Uh, 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 so remember, it's 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 like like a yawn. You're, 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 you're yawning and the words are hard to come out. As I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> That's mother fucking Teresa or something. <laughs> and realise there's nothing left. I can't do it. <laughs> no, no. Okay, no, we so... are not going to get any par- par- points for impressions so. of Michael Caine. You will get all the points, Niall. But, you yeah. know, you are a trained actor. Come on now. I think uh, the reason why we're yeah. doing this is so you can show off your Michael Caine impression. It really is. He it just, really, you know, yeah. we're the trained monkeys here. You're I do. I, I suggest, often suggest episodes that allow me to, <laughs> allow me to yeah. do the, the impressions and the very few impressions I can do so look out for our Jimmy Stewart retrospective <laughs> coming soon and it's it's gonna be great Jimmy Stewart it's gonna be fantastic anyway look back to Michael Caine I can um, do that my only impre- impression that I can do is Janine from Ghostbusters do you know what I mean that's like that's, oh yes that's, that's, yeah, that's my goal kind of good spot you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or Emma do Stone doing an impre- impersonation of Janine in from Zombieland Uh, okay so this is the podcast where we talk about the few impressions we can do yes Uh, (laughs) just tuned in let's get back to michael kane so in terms of you know as you mentioned there and you know and he had gotten this you know fantastic career in theater really kind of learning his his craft kind of the the working class man's way let's say so what is his big break then well, the film, I think, and it's a it's a playing against type for him that mm. gave him his big break is 1964 mm. Zulus, which uh, if people haven't seen it, based on a, a true story about um, a famous battle that happened in, in Africa. And he plays a very upper class officer in this film, which is full of kind of low, um, you know, low to middle class English um, grunts or, you know, regular soldiers. Um, and that like I, he kind of he had played parts in movies before and he he fought to get this part and um it was a bit it was a huge kind of break for him because people were going my goodness this is something that we haven't seen before and then in the year after that in 1965 a movie which i'm very fond of uh, the ipcrest file which is based on a series of novels spy novels by len dayton and he made three movies playing this character harry palmer uh, who is the antithesis of James Bond, if you like. If Bond is suave and sophisticated and has all the gadgets, uh, Harry Palmer is a man in a trench coat uh, with national health glasses who, you know, is badly paid, lives in a bedsit and just gets completely, you know, screwed over by his bosses all the time. Um, and then the year after that, of course, which he, he was then nominated for playing Alfie in the movie version of the play Alfie and I suppose the interesting thing about that is he was living with Terence Stamp at the time and Terence Stamp had uh, had 
um, originated the role uh, on stage. So the two of them were up for it. Now, I think it would be a very different film if Terence Stamp had been cast in that. Terence Stamp is a great actor. I think this is where I thought, you know, Kane has this hard edge, but he can play this vulnerability. So if you had Terence Stamp, I think, in in the film version of Alf, Alfie, you wouldn't get this softer side to him. Um, then he made a couple of more Harry Palmer movies in the, in the late 60s. And in 1971, another, he keeps kind of having these movies that are, have become iconic, I guess. Yeah. Um, Get Carter, which I'll be talking mm. about a bit later on. And one of my favourite movies, again, based on a play in 1972, uh, Sleuth. And Sleuth is a real gem of a film, if you haven't seen it. Uh, it is a two-hander. It's basically Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier, and they're the only two people in the film. Um, the, there was a much less successful remake uh, in the 2000s in which the roles were reversed, if you like. So Michael Caine took on the Laurence Olivier part and Jude Law played the part that Michael Caine had played in the in the <clears> 70s. <throat> the Man Who Would Be King, I think I keep recommending that movie to you. I don't know if you get a chance to see it yet. Um, based on a Rud Rudyard Kipling book in which he starred with Sean Connery, directed by John Huston. A really good adventure film. It's bound to be on over Christmas. So if you do see it, uh, if you do see it kind of come up in the listings, definitely watch it. And, you know, by the 80s then, we kind of get into a, a, a new, a different part of his career, if you like. He started off the 80s in 1981 with Escape to Victory, which is the kind of, the prisoner, the World War Two prisoner of war film, starring him and uh, Sylvester Stallone, and it's about a soccer match and how the uh, in inmates of the prisoner of war camp managed to escape. The prisoners managed to escape during this soccer match. Again, directed by John Huston. As not a big soccer fan, I have to say I probably I'm, I don't even know if I've seen it all the way through. <laughs> I don't know how good it is. Um, and then 1983, probably this is what I would call we're getting into now the character actor, the serious actor part of his career, as opposed to the film star part um, with Educating Risha, which we'll yeah. be talking about now mm -hmm. soon. Um, he then, of course, went on to work with Woody Allen and Hannah and Her Sisters in 1986, got another nomination, I think, for that. I mean, he might have won for that. I'm not sure. Um, and. He showed off his comedy prowess, which I think we maybe will talk about the fact that he can be, he's great in comedies. He's got a great mm -hmm. comedic sensibility in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in 1988, directed by Frank Oz, I think, starring, of course, against uh, Steve Martin. And then, like, I have a huge, I think it's the best adaptation of the Charles Dickens Christmas story, The Muppet Christmas mm -hmm. Carol from 1992. <laughs> Um, and we get into a kind of a slump in his career after that where it does seem like he's just doing the, the movies for a paycheck. Now, he's never been averse to turning down a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> People will know about um, the swarm in which he faces off against killer bees. He famously, he told the anecdote that, you know, um, when I get a script, I open the script. Oh, oh, should I do the voice? Yeah, do the voice. When, I get, when I get a script, when I, when I get a script, I open the script. And if on the first page it says... Uh, my character wakes up in a damp bedsit in Basingstoke. I say no, thank you. But if it says I wake up in a beautiful mansion uh, in Florida and I go out and open the door and, and it's just lovely scenery as far as the eye can see, I say yes, thank you. I will do that film. <laughs> so that Although was kind of and. He, I was just saying he does have a reputation for that in several parts during his career he he once as well famously said about 
was it Jaws 4 and he Jaws was asked the Revenge he, yeah. yeah and he was asked <laughs> if he saw the movie and he said after starring in it he said no but I saw the house that I bought me <laughs> so, yeah exactly yeah. like this is a guy who's been a job and actor since he was from a very young age like as we were saying he starred in well over 100 movies um, and if you look at when his acting career properly like his, his film acting career properly uh, took off he was in an uncredited role in 1950 but say 1956 was the first year when he started really um you know working as an actor on films and in the the 65 years that have passed he's only he's been in a movie every year bar seven years on most of those years he starred in multiple roles so he starred in a, a number of different movies like in 1958 they would have been kind of small roles but he starred in six movies and this has kind of kept him going because even if you look at recent years uh, um say for the likes of um 2015 for example you started in three movies 2017 three movies 2018 uh four or three movies as well so it's something that he's constantly uh, been in movies uh like his from 1956 um to 1989 he was in at least one movie every year um and that's 33 years of non-stop work really and then in the 90s as you said there was a bit of a slump he missed four years there but since 1996 he's been continuously working as well every year 2019 he didn't but he he's, he's working at the moment and he actually i know he's we've alluded to the fact that he might be saying goodbye to the world of acting but he has movies in post-production at the moment as well that'll be going into 2022 so you know mm. every now and then so taking a paycheck work, maybe yeah. not the worst yeah 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 i mean he look, i have nothing against an actor who acts you know what i mean because mm. that's you know i mean I, you look at say other actors who are more choosy about the parts that they they pick um i don't think i don't think any actor goes i want to do a bad movie and i'll just do it for the money but then the movies turn out <laughs> turn out to be bad like the swarm yeah. or what have you but yeah i mean movies that are bad well like you know like jaws or revenge i enjoyed it but it's not a great movie he still no. kind of elevated it yeah. by far oh, yeah. a really charming presence in there yeah and then just after the, and when i talk about a slump i don't necessarily mean that he's not making movies i'm just saying that the movies maybe that he's making are not great um mm. we have what i would call the resurgence and even like even the movies when i say that it's they're not great they're not terrible either like the cider house rules um which he got another academy uh, award for miss congeniality he's very fun in I that, in a, that. Yeah. yeah um and of course infamously austin powers gold member uh, <laughs> which he plays the Austin Powers, which again kind of plays off his his past at playing a spy with glasses in the 60s, you know, so it's clever casting. Dad! Hello, son. Just overpowering my goals. <laughs> I'm here to rescue you. Come quickly. I've got a better idea. Why don't you rescue me in about, what, seven or eight minutes? Eh? <laughs> oh, knock it off. I don't want to see my dad on the job. Come on, let's go. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, girls. No. I've got to go, it's my boy. Hold on, oh. oh. What's wrong with your neck? I took a Viagra, got stuck in my throat. I've had a stiff neck for hours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Listen, Dad, if you are going to talk about naughty things in front of these American girls, then at least speak English-English. All right, my son. <laughs> <laughs> 
I could have had it away with his cracking jewelry, my old china. Are you telling pork pies in a bag of trout? Because if you are feeling quiddly, why not just have a Jay Arthur? Well, Billy, no, mates. Who right, you? Don't you remember the crimbo din din we had with the grotty Scotsman? Mm. Oh, the one that was all sixes and sevens. Yeah, yeah, she was a travelling striper, but a Morris dancer lived up the apples of pears. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. she was the barrister that became a yeah. Bobby in a lorry. The, and they gave her the in the bottom of St. Regis tea kettle. And then she sat on a turtle. Oh, God, we had some good times, eh? We had some good times, eh? Wonderful times. Um, and then we have, like, the, the last... I don't want to say the last phase, because, like we say, there's more movies in them. Um, the Christopher Nolan phase, starting with Batman Begins and Children of Men from 2006, which is fantastic, and The Prestige and, um, you know, all of those films. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, as Ross says, he, he has worked consistently from... from uh, the outset and and it's not I don't think I'm not sure but I don't think it's a case that he's had to I think he loves filmmaking mm. and um and yeah and maybe yeah that that's that's as as much into his psyche as as, as, I, as yeah. I can guess probably <laughs> so let's get into talking about his movies then and we are going to a fantastic movie first of all from the 80s with yourself Ross isn't that right that's right and it was actually a, a movie I'd never seen from Michael Caine uh, and it's e Educating Rita um, now the first thing that you will notice if you hadn't seen this movie before and the first thing I certainly noticed because I was very much watched this movie without really looking at looking up anything about it beforehand uh, but the first thing you notice that the movie is set in Ireland well sorry I should crack that it's not set in Ireland it was yeah. filmed in Ireland uh, in fact the opening shot is of College Green and of Trinity College um, but it's not set in Ireland at all the original stage production on which this film is based and I'll talk about it a little bit later is actually set in Liverpool but the production filmed here as you know you see that with the likes of Toronto maybe as well which stands in for other cities especially US cities just kind of works out cheaper tax wise to film there um, but usually I, I suppose I think also they... just sorry Ross I yeah. think uh, that the um they they consciously wanted to make like uh, Liverpool doesn't have an old university in it, you know what mm. I mean. But Dublin yeah. has an old university in it, and it has kind of um, red brick houses where uh, you know poorer people. And so it was that kind of juxtaposition, I suppose, of of the old academia and the um, more working class, I suppose, um, and that you've got that in Dublin very close to each other, so you can film it there like that. You're absolutely right, and even just. As a point of difference, I found it a little bit maybe distracting at the start when I'm like, oh, there's College Green, oh, there's UCD campus, um, there's the Stag's Head, there's Dame Tavern. Um, so look, don't let that take you away from the movie because it is kind of distracting in some parts. But it also is a, like a fascinating to see 1983 Dublin in a movie. Um, it's kind of a cool kind of visual um, uh, visual document of what Dublin looked at the time. But... We're not talking about Dublin in 1983. We're talking about educating Rita. And uh, the plot of this movie is basically at the beginning, we're introduced to Dr. Frank Bryant. He's played by Michael Caine. And he's a kind of jaded, uh, disillusioned literature professor at Open University, from which Trinity plays a stand in there. So previously, he had written and published his own poetry but his own circumstances, like his wife left him and he developed a drinking problem. He's kind of lost all his will to write. 
he certainly lost his passion to teach as well um especially as you know especially to what he sees uh, in his eyes his students being really pretentious attending class and he has utter contempt for them really um he spends much of his day drinking on the job scoffing at academia which he's part of and casually not really teaching his students much um you know maybe it's the kind of thing you might have got away with in the 80s with tenure but i'm not sure if you get away with it now as much these days uh, he certainly seems to get chance after chance with uh with the powers that be in in, in the university uh but this all changed just one day when rita walks into his office she's a 26 year old working class hairdresser uh played by julie walters and uh and she's this kind of he's used to stuffy academia but she's just like no nonsense talker say what's on her mind she's completely different from anyone else on the college campus and um i suppose for for him she's a she's a breath of fresh air really um as for rita what what she's doing in his office is she is kind of looking for maybe a bit more substance in her life um she's been married since her early 20s her husband is 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 pressuring her to have a child and uh and she's just kind of looking at the existence around her kind of working class life and she kind of decides to herself she wants more which very much goes against the wishes of her husband the wish for her family and stuff like that but she she's decided she um she's decided and again this is much to the the fury and the bewilderment of her family that she's going to sign up for an open university course in english literature and michael kane is assigned as her tutor um as i said look there's kind of a, a weird meeting there in the the office and you can very much tell it was based on a on a play as well because a lot of the action is set in michael kane's office where himself and julie walters are kind of going back and forward um so you could definitely see how it would have worked on a stage but the pair couldn't be much more different from each other but their relationship is mutually beneficial as i said about michael kane his character is revitalized by this he, he suddenly finds a, a passion once again kind of for literature and um he finds rita's enthusiasm and her different outlook kind of new and different and he he thinks that's all fantastic for rita on the other hand frank is a sort of a shoo-in for her into the world of academia and into a more bohemian type of uh, of lifestyle but as the movie goes on and as the the characters develop um rita's character especially begins to change she kind of gains a bit more self-confidence whereas at the start she's quite reserved and um well reserved in her own ability or in her in her thoughts about her own ability um uh, she she gets more self-confidence and and she starts to become a little bit more like the students that frank has learned to despise and that and when that happens it really bothers him and uh i suppose his cynicism returns and that's really the basic plot there um and actually to be honest with you just listening to me describe it there it could put you off a little bit because it kind of sounds boring and stuffy and world of academia you know meeting the world of working class people it but it's it's not it shouldn't it's an absolutely fantastic movie um it's uh no i was just really really blown away by it um as i was saying as well it, it, you can clearly tell it it was a, adapted from a play because there's very few 
um, very few sets really and the main uh, setup is really the office where Michael Caine and Julie Walters share a lot of their scenes there's actually just there's fantastic kind of back and forth between uh, Michael Caine and Julie Walters like in, in their office and there's some kind of really kind of funny um, you know conversations here I'll just play an example which and this is the first time they actually meet in Michael Caine's office have a listen to this and you are I'm a what Huh? what and you are what is your name me first name well that would at least constitute some sort of start wouldn't it Rita Rita here we are. Rita. It says here, Mrs. S. White. Oh, yes, that's S for Susan. That's just my real name. But I'm not a Susan anymore. I've changed my name to Rita. You know, after Rita Mae Brown. No. Rita Mae Brown, who wrote Ruby Fruit Jungle. No. Haven't, haven't you read it? No. It's a fantastic book, you know. Do you want to lend it? Uh, yes. No. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Okay. And uh, what do they call you around here? Sir. But you may call me Frank. Okay. Frank. And uh, it was uh, a stage play written by Willie Russell. Um, and he also adapted the screenplay for screen. And uh, the director of the, of the movie, Lewis Gilbert, he had previously directed Michael Caine in Alfie. And he was in the directing chair for that. Um, but he was kind of at loggerheads a little bit at the start of it when they were going into production. Originally, Columbia, the, the production company behind the movie, they wanted to move the action to the US as a lot of you know US production companies would want. Or they at least wanted to have US stars based in the UK university. And the director, Lewis Gilbert, apparently scoffed at the idea that they wanted uh, Dolly Parton in the role of Walter. Uh, or sorry, in the role of in the role of Rita, which um, would have been a different, a much different movie. I would I would have said, but um, for his part, he he really pushed for Julie Walters in that role um, because she she was on you know she was starring in the play version, uh, and this was her first movie, which is insane to think about because she's such a big star now. Um, at that stage, she had only kind of done some stage work and TV work, so this was very much her first uh, film but for Michael Caine and we talked a little bit about this earlier on I think it was a, a very important movie in the career of Michael Caine it was around the late 70s early 80s and he had a, a bit of a run of you know he had a, a Sorry, I know you're. I, you, you know he's listening, so you don't want to offend him. But I think, <laughs> I, uh, I yeah. think your impression offended him enough, so I think he's fine. <laughs> okay. So you can say uh, uh, you, he had a run of a load of crap. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, it was around the late seventies, early eighties, and he uh, he had a run of very impressive, successful movies. Um, but he he was really getting to the stage of his career where he was starting to get some criticism for being lazy in his movie choices. Um, but director Lewis Gilbert, who I said had directed him before in Alfie, was convinced by Kane. He thought he was right for the part and he convinced um, Kane to, to come on board with the movie. Um, and if, if there was people criticizing his choices in movies, this really helped to put that kind of criticism at bay, at least momentarily anyway, uh, because he's fantastic in this role. Um, he has said in interviews that he considers his role uh, to be his best. And 
I have to say it's definitely a contender for me. He won a BAFTA for it. He was nominated for an Oscar. But more importantly, I think it, it gave um, Kane a bit of a shot in the arm, reminded um, reminded him and reminded people around him that he really had still had a lot to offer. Um, because like we, when you look at this film, and you guys have both seen it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you look at this uh, this film, and I've seen characters like his in movies before, uh, when you see someone who's so self-pitying and so self-destructed, destructive, um, in the hands of another actor, it might have been a bit more difficult to care about them quite as much. Um, so I, I think he just did a fantastic job. He, he's able to show tender moments, um, reckless moments, and it's all that all the time. Um, rolled up in Michael Caine's charm and of course well, where would the world be without you know where the movie world be without the fantastic Julie Walters and if this gave her her start that's unbelievable um, you know I can definitely see with Dolly Parton it may have, may have went down a comedic role and more comedic movie and that being said this movie is very funny as well but there's more to it in in in, in that like Julie Walter uh, Walter she's playing working class woman not happy with with her lot slightly embarrassed about herself and her upbringing and you know clearly this movie was released when it was a very much a different time for for women as well um with very different expectations maybe even especially for um working class women so there's a, there's a lot wrapped up in this movie. We have the class struggles. Um, Julie Walters coming from a working class background, meeting this world of academia. But it really shows that, like, and this is, this is especially the case with one of our later flatmates, that just because you might have, a, you know, you might be more educated or you might be have more money or uh, seemingly be more in touch with the arts and culture and stuff like that, that you might be happier um, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Like there's a scene later on where she bumps into her and spoiler alert, <laughs> her former husband. And he seems much happier in his lot. Like, so I, I don't think it shows that um, that the really strict kind of class structures in the UK doesn't necessarily dictate your levels of happiness. Um, another reason I'm really happy about this movie is while Michael Caine and Julie Walters have great chemistry in this movie, um, like it's very obvious that Michael Caine is charmed by Rita. Uh, they never really go down a romantic um, avenue, which I think is, which is good because like Rita, I think she, she's more impressed by Michael Caine's academic brain. Um, so I, I feel like the that level of like if they try to, the to, to force a relationship or or romantic element in there, it would have ruined the movie. Oh, there it definitely is, would it? Would it? Yeah. It would have completely tarnished it I think because like you say you know it, it, it would miss the point of her character and his because she's trying to leave that role of find you know love settle down family marriage yeah. blah de, blah and he's you know trying to reignite his his passion for his job so if you were to throw in a love story in there yeah I think it would just be falling down the cliche wouldn't it really yeah, I, I don't know if I agree that he's trying to ignite his passion for his job. I think he's just in a <laughs> rust, really. You know, he's not. He's. I don't think. Well, she I'm not sure what he ignites his. Oh, she does. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I don't think he's looking for that. I think yeah. it's something that happens. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth saying that Willie Russell, uh, the playwright that the, uh, wrote the original stage version, uh, has always written fantastic women. Um, mm. Apart from Rita, um, he, he had great success with Shirley Valentine. 
um, which again was turned in, into a movie a couple of years later. I think Education Risha is probably his best play. But um, yeah, I, I, I'd absolutely agree that if there was a romantic subplot, that that would that sounds like something out of the Dolly Parton version. Yeah, you know. Yeah, doesn't it? With yeah. with Burt Reynolds as as Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's a it's a brilliant performance, and um, I always remember that, and you can see it on YouTube. Michael Caine did a couple of acting masterclasses, acting for camera masterclasses. Mm. Uh, for BBC I think and I think they're on YouTube you can still see them the quality is very VHS from from around this time but he talks about acting drunk on on camera or just acting drunk generally and which he does a lot of in the, in this film and um, I remember uh, him explaining it going somebody who's drunk doesn't doesn't he doesn't want people to know that they're that he's drunk yeah so if you look at it's 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 always trying to to stay in control and stay in in command of yourself even though the fact that you're sloshed out of your head and he really is brilliant at that um a story i heard of audrey plaza uh say um about the movie that she just made with him bestsellers is that during cuts he would keep giving her tips about acting for camera and he would go for right for your close up you want one eye on on me because you're talking to me but you want one eye on the camera so you can look at the camera and she was going how do i do that i'm not an iguana but she said it it actually worked for her so you know look out for that because i think he's a hugely technical actor I think mm. he has because of all of the movies that he's made he's picked up these tricks you know what I mean um, tricks is not the right word techniques yeah. through yeah. the year you know and this, this is a great example of uh, of a movie certainly when he has to play Frank in his uh, in his cups uh, you can really see he does it so convincingly and he's not mm. one of those actors like Richard Harris and Richard Burton who had a hell raising kind of thing I'm sure he likes a drink but you know there was never that and in fact I think him and Richard Harris are kind of or were um, I should say um, they didn't get on because Kane was like well this is a job you should yeah. be professional you can't be mm. going out to the pub before coming in to film the next yeah, day or do you know actually as you mentioned that there's not much scandal there's not much no. kind of all of his private life all over the place yeah. Michael Kane. like you don't get that from him at all yeah married for a long time mm. to Shakira Kane, his wife who he met on uh, the man who would be king. I think he might have been married before that. I'm not 100% sure as well. But his second wife, and they were together, I think, um, or they, they they still are, I'm not sure. I think they are still together, yeah. yeah. But like that, it's interesting, isn't it, that you bring up that because, you know, li unlike his contemporaries, he wasn't kind of, you know, making headlines for the wrong reasons, yeah. let's say, you mm. know. I think his fallen out with Richard Harris was, was some of the reason why he might have opted to go for this movie as well because apparently uh, that falling out happened around this time and as you said he, he criticised Richard Harris for his hell raising and his drinking and Richard Harris kind of threw back the criticism that as I mentioned earlier on oh you're, you're just taking roles for the money you know yeah. so I think maybe well, that might well, have encouraged him while I'm doing Orca the killer whale which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Richard Harris was just jealous he couldn't actually be in a Jaws movie he had to make a Jaws yeah, knockoff yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah like I, I, it was a fantastic movie and it you forget sometimes forget how good an actor Michael Caine is but in this he was just absolutely fantastic I will say in some ways I thought that maybe you might have had a point. Was there any part of you think that maybe Rita was using him to kind of 
catapulted herself in academia a bit. Maybe not at the start, it wasn't her intention, but it certainly seemed maybe by the end. Or maybe she had just outgrown him a little bit, um, although there's a bit of redemption in there. But yeah, great movie. Um, it, if you haven't seen it, it's a Michael Caine essential, I'd say. Really yeah, is. I, I want yeah. to rewatch it now after hearing you talk. Yes, yes. If only to go, that bus doesn't go down that route. That's <laughs> <the time. laughs> yeah. Well, actually, speaking of which, there was a few. <laughs> and I, I mentioned at the start about that's why it's weird seeing Dublin because at the start I wasn't sure um, about where it was set. For all I knew, it was set in Dublin, so I was like, oh, it's Dublin." Um, but, but then you hear, you see weird moments where you're like, "All right, everyone's speaking an English accent. Dublin's a stand-in for somewhere." Yeah. But then you saw street signs. Uh, do you know and i was like well they're they're dublin street signs even the the, the 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 blue look of them and everything i was like all right so it's in dublin but there's just a lot of english people around so we've had a history of that <laughs> um <laughs> but then you see like a phone box and it's red or letterbox and you're like okay they're in england but then you see a bus with Beaumont on the front of it and driving by um but I actually I think the reason they chose Beaumont because it's kind of British doesn't it Mm. yeah it could be anywhere and Beaumont there's no Irish translation so a lot a lot of times you'd see on a bus you know you know whatever and then it'll have the Irish translation above it Beaumont doesn't have one so (laughs) they probably Mm. just didn't have to worry about it as much yeah no, it is. It's fantastic. And it's one of those ones, like you mentioned there, you know, the fact that that's Julie Walters' very first movie is pretty amazing as well. Talk about starting starting off strong in your career. Yeah, she really did. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving from kind of, I suppose, Michael Caine, the dramatic actor to Michael Caine, you know, the comedian, <laughs> because... As you rightly said, Niall, you know, there's a lot of movies in his repertoire, a lot of different kinds of movies where he is playing that kind of slapstick comedy kind of stuff, you know. Um, And this was your suggestion for me to watch. And I'm so glad I did (laughs) because it's just daft. (laughs) It's without a clue. And it poses the question, what if Sherlock Holmes, the detective, was merely a creation thought up by Watson, the real mastermind of the duo? Um, So... In this movie, you have Ben Kingsley. He plays Dr. Watson, a physician by day, sleuth by night, solving crimes under the the assumed identity of Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes is a fictional creation that Watson has uh, made up and he appears as a character in a series of short stories published in the Strand magazine. So he conceives of Holmes as a way for him to solve crimes kind of incognito because you know he's a serious doctor you know um medical professional he can't be kind of seen really to be dabbling in this sort of stuff so he's viewing his detective work as merely a hobby and doesn't want the attention that it would bring to, to his medical career However, when reading that the public demand to actually see this infamous Holmes, he has this brainwave to hire a bit of a has-been stage actor. How (laughs) dare you! (laughs) Reginald (laughs) Kincaid, played superbly by Michael Caine. And uh, he basically memorises the... Well tries to memorize the doctor's distru- <laughs> in detailed instructions and uh, try to convince the public that he is indeed Holmes um, however he does lose the run of himself and he completely oversteps boundaries at Watson who fires him and uh, you know there's kind of this it, it's the great dynamic really with um, and this is what's so, so wonderful about both of them because I think both actors bring out the best in each other Ben Kingsley and, and Michael mm. Caine you know Ben Kingsley is playing this really like you know straight laced doctor who who is really kind of 
almost screaming from the wings but it's me it's all my doing it's not this yeah, you know yeah. and then you have michael kane who's really reveling in the i'm back in the spotlight baby you know i'm holmes and it's all, all eyes me on me kind of thing. Yeah. yeah and actually there's a great scene um so they they call it's like a press conference and they've you know solved kind of the case where whereas scotland yard kind of where you know, still scratching their heads about things. And uh, they're outside their um, offices. And there's basically there's a bit where, you know, Watson is going to launch into how they've solved, you know, their their powers of deduction solved the case. And basically, (laughs) Reginald almost pushes him out of the way to take over, you know, as as the as as Holmes. And it's it's really brilliant because he completely what would you, puts a reporter a kind of a, a an obnoxious reporter in his place how many he? how many windows at the front of this house yes that, that's, that that's exactly yeah. the scene and here it is for your pleasure it was an elementary deduction based on the clues at hand but didn't scotland yard see the very same clues i see and observe <laughs> isn't that rather redundant Describe the front of this building. Without looking, describe the front of this house. Well, it's brick. Yes. It's got uh, black railings, I think. Right. Oh, and, and windows. How many windows? How many? I don't know. Quite so. He sees, but he does not observe. Whereas I see and observe, and thus bring many notorious blackguards to justice. Did I put that reporter in his place? Just for the record, how many windows are there in the front of this building? I'm having a foggiest idea. And then, of course, at the end of this, Watson's like, oh, as a matter of you know, uh, interest, how many windows are there, you know? And he's like, I'm having a bloody clue, you know? Uh, he's, Australian Austra- he's still Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, so, you know, he, that you have, and this is the great thing about Sherlock Holmes, and I am a, a fan of Sherlock Holmes. I like the reimaginings as well. Like, I do love Jude Law with, with um, Robert Downey Jr. I like this back and forth dynamic duo arguing with each other poking fun at each other you know breaking up and making up again and all of this that goes hand in hand with, with what's bromance. Yeah, bromance. It's yeah, yeah, bromance yeah it's totally bromance it really is um <laughs> but uh with this you know uh watson decides then of course to write Holmes out of his stories he's you know he's disgusted with this now and he wants to replace him with a new character that he calls the crime doctor which is based on himself but of course the public hate the character the crime doctor doctor and uh when Watson attempts to investigate a crime of arson at, at a warehouse, he quickly finds that nobody is willing to share information with him. They love the charismatic Holmes, mm. don't you know? Where's Mr. Holmes then, Dr. Yes, Watson? Yes, absolutely. Where's Mr. Holmes? Is, is he calm? Well, we better wait for him before we tell you any vital information. <laughs> so the, the British government contacts Watson and they want Holmes to solve a major theft involving the disappearance of printing plates for £5 notes, along with the disappearance of a printing supervisor, Peter Giles. He's gone missing uh, the night of the robbery. 
So they, uh, because of their, you know, haphazard relationship, they need each other. He realizes, okay, I need this guy actually, you know. Uh, so he has to to call him back out again and kind of um and team up with him. But it's 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 great. It really is. I mean, even from the opening scenes, you know, uh, there's th- this great connection, um, this great duo of of um. Ben Kingsley and Michael Caine is great. I mean, it's a, it's a classic comedy of mistaken identities. You know, you know Watson uh, was the smart one. Holmes is mm. made up. You know, uh, it's kind of it's twisting this idea um, around. You know, of of what we know of of Sherlock Holmes and Watson, and it's great. And I'm all for a period. You know, set cake. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, now look at. Had Ben Kingsley oh, and Michael Caine not been in the this, movie, this is I where, don't think this it would have worked as where... well. This is where she spoils one of my favorite films. No, no, I'm not oh, gonna, no. I'm not gonna <laughs> spoil anything <laughs> at all. No, no, I promise you now. Uh, but had they not been in it, it, it definitely, it wouldn't have worked as well because it really is all about the chemistry. You know, uh, these two kind of bring up, um, or these two kind of, you know, within this buddy movie idea is fantastic, and it kind of reminds you that these two acting giants can do comedy really well. And like I said at the start. They are, what would you say, you know, very like they they don't outshine each other. They give each other room to perform. Do you know what I mean? And it's very Mm. much, you know, this is your bit and I'm going to play into this. And then this is your bit. It's very complimentary kind of thing. Mm. Um, However, it's not enough. The plot does veer towards being utterly silly. You know, (laughs) Uh, it does feel a little bit like a TV movie, like it does have that look about it. Uh, But you know, uh, I think really it's just not reaching its potential. The premise is great. It's really inventive. The duo is great. But the mystery element for me and the, oh, the plot, the twist and turns and what's going on here, that's not there for me. And that's what you kind of want in a Sherlock Holmes movie. But in saying that, this is still really worth a watch. It's still very, very enjoyable. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I watched it. I, I think without a clue, definitely. It's a good three star, like you like to say, Niall. Yeah. And it, had you heard about it before? Because no, I think not one of all. the reasons, it, for me, it's a real, and I think I've told you this when, when I recommended it, it's a, one of the movies, if I'm sick or if, I, you know, if I'm not feeling well, I put it on, it always puts a smile on my face, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, from from the opening scene, yeah. which takes place in a museum where they foil a museum uh, robbery, and it the opening scene is almost for the first for, as you're watching it like an actual you think you're watching an actual Sherlock Holmes film yes like a proper straight one yeah until the very last minute where it's <laughs> where everybody leaves and Watson takes his hat off and starts hitting Holmes with yeah. the hat and Holmes goes what did I do what did I do I said everything that you told me to say um, and then you realise you're in for something completely different. Um, yeah. Ross, mm. you did you you have a chance to to, to see it as yeah. well? Yeah, I've seen it as well. I thought it was absolutely. What fun. did you and think? Talked, I loved it. I loved it as well. Like the plot does get silly, but I can totally yeah. see its merit of um, it does. It's it's going to move you where the plot doesn't really matter. You're kind mm. of won over by the easy charm of 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 Michael Caine, and I think himself and Ben Kingsley have a great back and forth as well. And I think you know we mentioned this before. I think Michael Caine has a great head for comedy I, I just think yeah. he's, he's mm. he really excels in comedy he's able to play those ro- rules to perfect or roles per- to perfection so yeah I, I really really enjoyed it Um, it, it's definitely you know a Sunday morning kind of movie as you said 
Yeah. Mm, yeah. Seek it it's, out. It's, yes. I, wa- I want to uh, watch it again now, just like Educated Reading. Uh, <laughs> you can have a double feature, a Michael yeah, King double feature. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe a triple feature because he could round it all off now with the movie that you're going to talk about, which is. With a very different performance. Very we've different gone from comedy. Mm. We've, we've gone from serious acting Michael Caine in Education Reading. We've gone from comedy acting Michael Caine in Without a Clue. And now we're going for. Uh, what would you say um, action actor yes. Michael Caine yes. I guess um, for want of a better word not that he's not doing some fantastic acting with a capital A in it so I am going to talk about Get Carter from 1971 directed by Mike Hodges um, and it was Mike Hodges first film Mike Hodges would later go on to direct Flash Gordon which is a completely different movie <laughs> but um, it stars Michael Caine as Jack Carter um, and it also stars an actor called Ian Hendry who's very good and Britt Eklund among other kind of luminaries uh, of the 70s British cinema it's based on Ted Lewis's 1970 novel Jack's Return Home and it follows Michael Caine's character Jack Carter who is a London gangster and he's not the sort of man that you want to cross Carter's brother ends up dead he travels to Newcastle to arrange the funeral and becomes more and more convinced that his brother was murdered so he delves into the seedy underbelly of the Newcastle underworld all the while carving a bloody trailer of revenge in search of his brother's killer Um, now for people who haven't seen this film this film is a bit like Ross is saying about a lovely snapshot of 1984's Dublin or Liverpool or wherever Educating Reader was Um, this film is 50 years old and it shows its age now what I mean by that is it is as much a snapshot of the Newcastle of the 70s as it is a cinematic masterpiece. Uh, fans of Geordie Shore and Anton Deck, uh, this Newcastle is not something that you would recognise. It's not the Newcastle of hen parties and nights out, but it's a Newcastle of a poverty that has gr- ground the people who live there into a grey, unendurable existence, if you like. And what I love about this film too, apart from that, is like a lot of films from this era, you have two very well-known and very glamorous actors like Michael Caine and Britt em- e- Eklund uh, and they um, it's thrown them into this and it, it just really seems like they're in real life. It seems like they're not movie stars even though, you know, th- they are. Um, so you've got them in the same frame as these really sour-faced people in bedsits and old men in pubs who aren't actors and they've just because they have an interesting look they've they've been asked to come in and they're you know people in betting shops and and the the one of the plot points of the movie based around a, a, what at the time would have been called a, a stag film which is a basically a a porn film and people you know these these horrible men watching it i was reminded actually of this movie when I saw Last Night in Soho recently, which covers some of the same ground as this, if you like, Mm. although it's much more um, cinematic, I suppose, Last Night in Soho. This is a very cinema verite look to it. It, It's a brutal and a cold film. It's more brutal than a lot of British cinema at the time would have shown, you know. Uh, The same time that this was on, people were tuning into the BBC to see The Likely Lads, which was set in Newcastle as well. Um, uh, And that was a completely different kind of take on the city. But it is such a good film and Kane is so good as this avenging, bellicose character that you you forget to even question whether Michael Kane could have actually been born in Newcastle <laughs> and then just moved to London and become completely London um, but he's just perfect in this part it's got an iconic opening with some fantastic uh, music which I think is one of the best 
theme tunes for for a movie uh, ever put to vinyl uh, and it involves Michael Caine on the train going from London to get up to Newcastle for his brother's funeral and he's reading this pulpy crime novel um and you, it kind of sets you up into this okay we're in a in a world of crime like like a film noir but this is a completely different kind of film noir i don't know what you call it a, a, a noir a, so there's neo noir and you know there's sci-fi noir this is like red brick smog noir if you like <laughs> um so I, I mean it's a no it's a must-see film for me i have to say if you if you call yourself a film fan and you've not seen this film then shame on you and it has a must-see performance at its core from michael kane and it's eons away from what you like film goers would have seen kane do before we talk about the the versatility in his career and how he can he can change and change people's expectations of him um, there, there was none of the charm that I talked about when I talked about Alfie, you know, that he's that kind of rogue. There's not, there's, Jack Carter is not a rogue. Jack Carter is like the Terminator yeah. in a Mac, you know. Uh, there's no attempt for you to kind of gain sympathy. The sympathy that you have for him is that he's trying to, you know, to get to the bottom of what happened to his brother. Um, and there's none of that kind of also, um, we talked about the the class system and uh, you know and and the fact that he brought that with him in all of his parts you know so when harry palmer he was playing this spy but it was like the system is is trying to crush him and he's the little man trying to trying to fight against the system um i think there was a there was certainly a class element also in um in educating Risha that we talked about and i would argue that there's a class element in uh, without a clue because yeah. you know Reginald Kincaid, although he's got a fancy name, I don't think he was born Reginald Kincaid. You know, <laughs> you kind of feel that that was a stage name. And oh, yeah. then Sherlock Holmes is another persona that he's taken on. But what you get in this, you just get uh, Jack Carter in his underpants, holding a shotgun. And if you're on the other end of that sh shotgun, you're going to be in trouble. So you've both seen it, I assume, because you call yourself yeah. film fans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even after what you've said it's like you know better say yes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um, i know it's great it it can be a grim watch it is a bit of a grim watch it goes far beyond gritty you know yeah. you yeah. think of gritty and then you dip that in dirt and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fog and yeah. yeah and see the other bellies it's 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 that times 10 really yeah yeah but it's a must see really it's it's i'm sure it's in the and one the actual and one films to see before you die. Oh, it definitely has to <laughs> it be. It should there. be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, speaking of that, we do have another quite gritty one, don't we, for one thousand and one this week? We do. Yes, it's and it it segues quite well into mm. um, Get Carter. So Does... let's play the music and yes. let's see who's in the firing line. One thousand and one films to see before we kill you. Yeah, so we're all actually in the firing line, really, aren't we? For oh, this no. One? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a hail of bullets is what's happening here. Well, very, I, 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 had, <laughs> I had seen it before, um, but I don't think... Had you guys seen this one before, this, this episode? No, I hadn't. No. This was the first time I saw it. Yeah, yeah. so too. we're talking Michael Caine doing Gritty, and uh, this is Harry Brown, and he is significantly older <laughs> than when he played uh, the role in Get, Get Carter, but... Um, like it's such a different like it's a gritty movie but he's a completely mm. different character obviously 
Michael Caine is playing the, the titular character, um, Harry Brown. He's an elderly pensioner. He's a, he's a decorated Royal Marine veteran. And uh, at the start of the movie, he's living in this, in this council state, which is very much uh, overrun with antisocial behaviour. There's young, violent gangs around the place. Um, he very much doesn't feel completely safe there or comfortable. He spends most of his days, uh, most of his time playing chess with a pal of his, Len Atwell, um, who's a big part of the movie later on. Um, he, playing uh, playing uh, chess with him in a local pub. When he's not doing that, he's visiting his his wife, Kath, who is is very ill in hospital. Um, but one day when he gets a hospital phone call to tell him that his wife is, is, is dying, he must go see her and he passes by a kind of underpass um, that a lot of these these young gangs hang around in and he doesn't feel entirely safe going down there rightly so i'd imagine so he decides to go the long way around and as such when he arrives at hospital it, it transpires that he's actually he's too late to uh too late to have seen her she's actually passed passed away um so we see him next he's he's burying his wife and she's buried next to their 13 year old daughter who died back in the in the 1970s so there's very much um not a lot of people around in harry brown's life very much just his friend len who he plays chess with and maybe even lean cunningham who plays the uh who plays the, the pub owner there and as i said there's a lot of violent gangs in, in the in the in the estate and when his 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 friend who len who's played by david bradley who you you will know from the harry potter movies uh he plays like the uh, what would you call it the caretaker i guess in hogwarts maybe um but filch his name is filch that's the one yeah um but they're having a you know they're playing a game of chess one day and there's clearly something bothering len and he tells he tells uh harry brown look I'm, i'm really getting bothered by these young young gangs they're they're bullying me they're harassing me they're putting dog excrement through his door um they're just really giving him a hard time they spit at him and he doesn't feel safe at all and he tells harry brown michael kane look i've armed myself he shows him he has a bayonet um on him harry brown tells him not to be stupid he says contact the police len says i have contacted the police there's nothing they can do they never arrive in time i don't feel safe i feel like i'm being attacked so shortly after this len is out and he confronts a couple of young teens who are giving him a hard time and as a result of that he ends up getting attacked and getting killed and we later find out the whole incident was actually recorded on one of the teens phones and this really pushes harry who as I said, look, he doesn't have that much else in his life at, at the time, especially now since his, his his wife has passed on and his his friend who he used to spend time playing chess with is dead. He, he very much is he's a man that's pushed over a brink. He's certainly uh, he's got nothing to lose. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah, mm. and uh, he decides to go out and seek revenge, and that's kind of the setup of this movie. It's weird because for a revenge movie, it it's like a much older man because yeah. Michael Caine was you know in his eighties in this, and he's taking on people who are teenagers or very young adults yeah and it's almost like he's he's kind of activated again or something isn't it it's like all of this kind of rage and violence and everything else was just kind of 
you know, maybe dormant in him and he's just like ignited now by, by this and by the, the, the youngsters that are in the area. And you can get yeah. this, you see, this is an example, I think, of, of Michael Caine's subtlety as an actor, you know. He builds the character from the inside out. You just think, oh, it's this, you know, lonely, sad geezer mm. at the start because that's kind of what you want to, he wants it to see. But then this Marine badass kind of comes out then you know and uh, you know he's given us subtle clues throughout in looks he gives you know you get the impression like you know when he's walking by them or he sees them kind of in the distance like what you were saying you know the way he has to take the long way round it's this kind of you know, yes, there's the cautious kind of, I don't want to get into hassle here, but there, it, it, there's something else and you're just waiting for that something else to come out. And uh, even though he's old, you know, mm. in this, he's older, uh, you know, it's he's kind of someone like, let's say, Clint Eastwood. He's capable, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that I don't want to up against yeah. this guy. Like, I was I just going to say, like, this would mm. be a completely different movie with Clint Eastwood in it. Well, we already I had think... this movie with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Yeah, 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 I guess so, yeah. But, you know, the, you don't get that that vulnerability at the start with, with if you cast Clint Eastwood. You no, know what I mean? No. It's, it's, not, it's not there. And that's the thing that, that Kane is so is so adept at, at like like we say earlier on he's never been afraid to show a vulnerable side when it's mm. needed and that's i think one of the better things about this film that you do see those early scenes and you see a man that you know uh, he has this history mm. and you're aware of it but he he's in a different part of his life and this interaction with the, with this crime on on the, where he lives and and the loss of his friend as you say Sinead kind of makes makes something in him activate something mm. that was was there from his past i mean um there's a joke uh, in in an early episode, uh, se- season of the simpsons where a film critic uh, jay sherman reviews death wish 9 which is the latest film in the charles bronson death wish series uh, which never existed because death wish only made it to death wish 5 fans <laughs> of death wish will know um but uh the um the joke is basically you've got Charles Bronson uh, who in the Death Wish series became progressively older and older and older. He was already old, I think, when the first one was made in the 80s. Um, and uh, in this Simpsons, uh, we see a clip of this movie where it's just Charles Bronson on a hospital bed can, going, I wish I was dead. So, <laughs> um, you know, I wonder... I, I don't think the writer director of, of Harry Brown, Daniel Barber, had seen that, but maybe he did. But um, this is a very different take on the aging vigilante story, isn't it? You know, and as we say, it has a bit in common with uh, with Jack Carter, um, although he's he's much older. Um, I don't think Jack, you know, you couldn't have made this couldn't be get carter part two no no no, several years later because it's a very different character because as as we were saying he's got this vulnerability he's Mm. got this idea he's he's lost in the in the in the film he loses his friend he loses his wife he already has lost a child from years ago Mm. and so much of it is about him just waking up going through the motions of what his daily routine is you know and it's the director really cleverly kind of focuses in on that before 
unleashing hell yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. second yeah. half of the movie. Yeah, because you know, do you know what? There's a scene, and maybe we might play a little bit of it, but there's a scene where he's buying the gun, you know, and he's in oh. this absolute hellhole, and there's a girl passed out, possibly about to die from a drug overdose, and this crazy tattoo freak shooting heroin into his ankle, and a <laughs> sort of manky toothed, bare chested scumbag trying to tell him how badass he is going through the various merchandise and all this kind of stuff. And you're just going, true. Michael Caine, get out of there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, just, yeah. You're not the place for you. <laughs> the fuck are you doing? You don't touch the merchandise until we've seen some fucking coin. Sorry. You sure she's okay? Maybe we should take her to the hospital. What did you just say? Your girlfriend needs a doctor. Maybe you should call an ambulance. Oh no fucking ambulance gonna come here, brother. Do you understand me? Okay. Okay, I'll... I'm on my own business, all right? Two fantastic um, actors, Gangsters, Joe, yeah. Joe Gilgan yeah. uh, and uh, Sean Harris, who yeah. is getting kind of wider acclaim now in the Mission Impossible movies. But Sean Harris, as the main kind of head drug dealer in this, mm. it's like he's an alien. Yeah, he's moves and but he's he's great great casting. They're only in this film for a hot second, but they they really hold uh, their own. They're you you remember them, yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, God, like we terrifying. were saying. It's a, it's a it's a case of Michael Caine knowing what that takes, letting mm. them take the spotlight for that scene, mm. because he knows that it'll make the film better. The one thing I love about it as well, and we were kind of talk about earlier on about his vulnerability, but I think that you know we've seen the movies before where it's oh it's a, it's an old guy but he turns into a badass, and as soon as he turns into a badass, vulnerability leaves. It doesn't in Michael Caine's situation, and I think it's interesting. There's one scene in particular where he's chasing down, you know, a gang member or something like that, and he ends up like collapsing because you know it's too much physical work yeah. for a man of his age, you know. Yeah. And I think it's an important part of the character because it, it reminds you that yeah, he's doing this stuff, but it's uh, as incredibly dangerous as it is. It the, the stakes are up so much because he's at such a vulnerable age, you know, and that yeah. really just I think that adds a whole extra weight to the, the you know a revenge movie. It really does. It really does. No, it's fantastic. I like it, for me. Um, it's a great it, example of Michael Caine playing. You know, again, this kind of it's gritty drama, isn't it? It's 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 action, but a very different action than mm. than get get Carter. Again, it's just another great example of of his versatility, which I think we've tried to outline in in all the movies that we've selected this evening for this. Yeah, and I think we've given a good uh, range there. I'm one thing last thing I would I would ask both of you about this film and I was kind of it thinking about why why did I not when this came out because it was getting very good reviews why did I not go and see it or why did I not kind of watch it until now um and I wonder is it that uh, it's because it occupies or it highlights I think a difficult area for me when we talk about Michael Caine 
Um, Michael Caine is a very much like he was very vocal about um, Brexit and encouraging the UK to e leave the EU. Um, and even around the time that this film came out and it was marketed very much like it had that kind of Britain, England kind of yeah. Union Jack stuff on the cover, you know, and there have been like movies like Lock Stock by Guy Ritchie and things like that. I like I enjoyed them when I saw them, but when I go back now, I kind of and you look at the way that a lot of things in Britain have developed since, um, you I, you do kind of go, well, what is it? What is it actually saying about that? You know, mm. um, I mean, I don't know, uh, Michael Caine. I kind of alluded to it earlier on that if 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 I met him in a pub, I don't know if we get on. We might, but who knows? Um, he's been very like we you talked also earlier on about you know his his. Uh, early national service yeah. and he's been was very vocal about saying and i think it was probably when this film came out that's what the young people need they need to be nationally conscripted to be in the army for <laughs> well, you know that'll put and, manners on his name well yeah. basically yeah. yeah and and he w has been adopted as a bit of a poster boy now either willingly on his part or unwillingly for that you know that kind of ukip or a certain very right wing of of the tory party um but you know like I say, and I, we said the same with, with Sean Connery, it's important to remember that just because you can admire somebody's work on the screen, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to believe or endorse everything yeah. that they believe. Yeah, of I'm very not. much Plus, about se yeah. separating the, the art from the man or the person, definitely. Yeah. Plus, Michael Caine's 88 years old. You, <laughs> you, find me, you find me an 88-year-old who doesn't think that young people could do with a national service spell. Ed you know? Asner, <laughs> God bless him. Ed Asner passed away in the last year. He was uh, he was uh, staunchly left-wing until mm. his death. I'm sure he would say, no, that uh, national service is possibly <laughs> okay. not the way to deal with the problems of, yeah. of young people in oh, modern could, society. Could you imagine, in all seriousness, right? Could you imagine young people today going out to war and they'd be fucking Instagram and hashtag war, you know, like, I mean, seriously. I'm, like. I'm sure we'd be just as useful as anyone who, any generation that was forced into a war. Hang on, because... wait, are you saying we? Are you saying you're a young person, Ross? No. I know you're the youngest, no. you're, you're the actually, youngest person on this. 30, whatever you are. Do you know what? I'm probably near enough to aging out of the army at this point. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. 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 You, you, well, that's you actually, the, you know, it's a bit of a bright side. The they no, yeah, you are the young ingenue of this podcast, all right. But <laughs> I think uh, I think the army are going. No, we'll we'll wait for another eighteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all that's left is to murder a scene. It's time to murder a scene. So the scene that we are going to murder is, of course, a classic film starring Michael Caine. It's the 1969 British comedy caper, The Italian Job, telling the story of Charlie Croker, who's the leader of a Cockney criminal gang. He's just been released from prison and has heard that one of his friends attempted a high-risk job in Italy under the nose of the mafia, but looks out, let's say. So Charlie takes over the job, which is to rob four million in gold, using three Mini Coopers, a couple of Jaguars and a bus. So he attempts to bring the city to a standstill and steal the gold and escape. In the scene that we are going to hear, Michael Caine's character is attempting to convince Benny Hill's character to well, come on board with the job, isn't that it? Yeah, but but in order to find Benny Hill's character, he has to first 
talk to Benny Hill's character's sister. Yes. Played played by the fantastic actress Irene Handel, who is so funny in this film, in the tiny scene that she has. And she's explaining why it might be more difficult to get her brother than, than <laughs> he has been led to believe. Yes. And here is a little taster of that scene. Yes, well, my brother's no longer with us, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> you mean he's, um... Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. Uh, well, actually, he's in a home, yes. Well, we thought it best for his own good, you know. Uh, um, was it, uh, serious, Miss Peach? Um. Serious, was it? What? Your brother in the home. Oh, yes, I'm afraid it was quite serious, dear. It's Greenfly awful. Yes. Yes, well, not to put a too fine point to it, he was discovered in the lounge. And action. Well, my brother's no longer with us, I'm afraid, no. Uh... You you mean he's? Oh oh no no nothing like that. Well, well actually he he's in a home. Yes, we we thought it best for his own good. Oh, uh, was it uh, serious, Miss Peach? Pam, uh, uh, serious was it? What? Uh, your brother in the home. Oh, oh yes, I, I'm afraid it, it was quite serious, dear. Isn't this green fly awful? Oh, yes. Yes, well, not to put a too fine a point on it, but he was discovered in the lounge. Uh, doing what, Miss Peach? Where? Uh, in the lounge. Oh, yes, yes, he, he was doing it, yes. What? Oh, well, something quite obscene with a net. A net? A net. She was terrified, of course. Oh, naturally. Yes. Well, would you like some tea? Eh? Tea, would you Would you like some? Oh, you're very kind. Yes, please. Oh, good. Excuse me a minute. And Ed... Annette, would you serve tea in the lounge, dear? I shouldn't have let her do that, dear. That gives them ideas. This is Annette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Annette, that's my starring role. The Oscar goes to... <laughs> yes. Um, the, the uh, you know, sometimes it's just like two minutes of screen time and give them an Oscar. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think you guys, uh, Ross is the old lady. Well done. Yeah. I feel like I drifted in and out of an, a terrible English accent and then just to my own voice by the end of the scene. <laughs> you did, it was in the, in the industry, it's known as a Kevin Costner. Oh, yes. Kevin Costner from Prince of Thieves. You just go, oh, I'll attempt it at the start, but ooh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's another episode I feel writing itself there. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed our look at some of the great Michael Caine's work. He is one of the greats of cinema and it just goes to show you should never give up on your dreams. Just look at where Michael Caine or Morris Micklewhite came from. 
Till next time, film fans. Bye. See you at the movies. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Oh, that's good. That's, that's the good. best. Yeah. 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 You got there. End at the of the end. High <laughs> Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and Niall have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Da 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 da, talking movies. You have been listening to the real take, presented by Sinead Brassel. Ross Leahy and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies. <laughs>